Welcome to the ESP PPE podcast, Proper Project Expectations. Just a quick setup or reminder of what we're doing here. This is our 2023 summer series covering selling under NEM3, working in solar in California, and why it's still the best place to sell solar in the country if you know how. We're all about learn, then earn, whether you're fresh to the industry or a sun-baked seasoned pro. In this podcast series, we'll go through the course of a project from some pre-sale topics all the way to final system activation. Don't take anything we say as gospel. Just try it on and see if you like it. Here we go. We're doing something a little bit different this week. Jack Walker, VP of Construction at Energy Service Partners, came up with five electrifying questions. We're asking that of all of our top battery manufacturers over the next few episodes here. We're going to be sharing these by way of our LinkedIn groups for California NEM3 discussions and home service professionals of California. So if that's how you found us, thanks for tuning in. If you haven't joined already, head on over to LinkedIn and do a search for those groups. We'll be happy to let you in and join the discussion. This time we had the guys from Tygo Energy. Tygo, if you haven't heard of them, is a very, very smart energy company. And these guys are no exception. I missed this one. I was sorry too, but I've talked to them on other occasions. And man, these guys are smart. So I'll let them prove it to you. Give it a listen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Today we're joined by the team from Tygo in Southern California, um, who is not actually in Southern California today. We've got Troy. And his, John, how do you describe yourself? Are you the technical assistance guy? Like, how do we we make this happen? Uh, Right-hand man, maybe. John is the the right-hand man of Troy. He's got a left hand on the East Coast. (laughs) (laughs) Troy, what are you doing in Puerto Rico right now? I'm currently down here helping. and We did some trainings for installers on the Tygo Energy Intelligence Solution and, you know, helping these guys with uh, backup power. Power has been out three times in the 48 hours that I've been here. So it's a legit uh, in the, uh, in the, in the market here. Oh, that's pretty cool. Glad to see that you're helping out and making an impact in the community. That's super awesome. How's the golf game? I uh, haven't played since with you. What? <laughs> you haven't wait. So you have to say it the right way. I haven't played since I beat you Walker. Like you have to <laughs> emphasize how you put the beat down on me. John, are you a golfer? Uh, not a good one, but, you know, I enjoy the opportunity to get outside, especially when I'm getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> I love the sound of that. Yeah, Troy's Troy's not messing around. We had recently an opportunity to golf. We went to a really cool place. I'm not going to be a name dropper. We golfed. Tory Pines. Tory Pines. We got to um, we got to about the 12th or 13th hole. I know we were fairly close at the turn. And then uh, we got to about the 12th or 13th hole and. We could see the end in sight, and I think Troy ended up sprinting out to a four-stroke lead to win the damn thing. And good on you, dude, because any one of those holes that were horrific could have changed it for either one of us, for sure. But I am am still licking the wounds, and I will play you again, and we'll figure out how that goes. Sounds good. Hey, let me share my screen, and we will jump into it. What we've, what we've got, just so that everybody knows, is we've got five electrifying questions about uh, NEM 3.0 and how solar and storage, or what some people call ESS, sort of work and how they work with each other. And really what we're trying to do is help make it simple for people to understand the relationship between the two, what you're getting when you actually get these things as part of your solar system. And um, the question at the very end is super trivial, but it's definitely great to get people's sort of perspective on what the future sort of looks like. All right. So let's start the five electrifying questions. Troy, John, you sort of put your heads together. Tell me how you would best describe the relationship 
of ESS. And again, you know, there's so many acronyms in this. At the end of the day, ESS is storage, right? So how would we best describe the relationship of ESS within a PV system? John, you want to go first with all these questions and I'll follow up? Second. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Look, I think the easiest way is to think about a battery within your solar install is it's just like an energy reservoir, right? So it collects a bunch of energy throughout the day. You get to use that energy during the peak period of the day and avoid expensive electricity. It's really very simple um, and not to be overcomplicated that you generate solar on the roof, put your excess energy in the battery, use your energy later out of your energy reservoir. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. I, I think of it more like a bank as well. You know, um, you're paying money to generate kilowatt hours with your solar system. Why would you want to send it back to the utility if they're not compensating you adequately during the day when that solar energy is produced? So the battery is going to act like your bank account. It's like a piggy bank. And you're taking all that extra solar energy that your home's not using, and you're putting it in that piggy bank, and then you're going to use it during these peak times when the power is really expensive so that you're really maximizing your return on your investment of your PV system. And so I just like to think of it as a giant piggy bank that you make deposits into. And then, you know, when you want to take it out, you can think of uh, like an ATM or something like that to get your cash out so that you can maximize your savings on your investment. Yeah. hundred percent, Troy and John, I think you guys nailed it, you know, in its most simplistic mode. Storage is the ability to sort of capture and hold on to what you've created on your roof. And at the end of the day, when the sun goes down and the cost of power goes up, because most utilities are moving to some sort of time of use program, right? When the cost goes up and the sun goes down, it's really best to be able to take that energy out and use it for yourself instead of sending it back to the grid for some lesser amount. I 100% agree. I think you guys have been I mean, you know, Jack, I live in San Diego and it's pretty simple. You get three cents a kilowatt hour for exporting during the day and they're going to charge you 83 cents during uh, four to nine. So why would you get three cents of value for it if when you can get 83 cents of value for it? Simple math. hundred percent. And SDG&E is not the only ones, right? NEM 3.0 affects the big three, uh, PG&E, SDG&E and SCE, right? So if you live in any one of those, or if you're working with customers in any one of those marketplaces, that's absolutely the relationship you're looking for. All right. So NEM 3.0 comes around in April and everybody panic sells up till April. And we end up with a giant pig and the Python and we're working through that, getting it all done and up on the roof. And all of those people were grandfathered under NEM 2.0, but everything sold after April 15th becomes NEM 3.0. And as soon as NEM 3.0 hits the streets, we start hearing a whole bunch of new terms, man. We hear things like VPP for virtual power plants. We hear things like microgrids. And when you're in the home selling, we've got guys using terminology like self-consumption. And, you know, these are terms that solar never really used before. And so I really want to just pick one today. And the one that I want to pick is called self-consumption. What's the best way to help a consumer? So now you're a sales rep, right? What's the best way you could help a consumer understand what self-consumption is and during self-consumption, what's actually happening? Like what's happening within solar? What's happening within the battery? What's what's happening? And who wants to go first this time? Yeah, I can I can take that. I think, you know, it's something we never talked about before the transition to NEM3, but it was something that was happening all the time. Because we know that you're generating X amount of solar and the utility only sees, you know, 
40, 50% of that energy when it gets sent back to the grid, right? Right. There's always a difference between how much is generated and how much the utility sees. And the difference is the amount that is consumed by the home, right? So the, the self-consumption piece is the piece that is used by the home in the middle there. And the only difference now when we add a battery is that the energy reservoir that we talked about or the piggy bank that we talked about previously, we're really talking about instead of sending energy back to the grid, you're going to self-consume it. You're going to use it yourself. So you'll fill up your battery, you'll discharge it into the home instead of buying electricity from the grid. And really electrically, it's quite simple. We're generating solar on the roof. You self-consume from that first. So you get to use that energy first of all. The excess goes into the battery and your battery fills up throughout the day. And then in that peak period, when, as Troy mentioned, it's 80 something cents a kilowatt hour in STG&E, it's in the 40s and 50s and other IOUs, you then actually discharge that battery into the home and you self-consume it. And you're trying to avoid as much of that expensive electricity as you can. And then once your battery is empty or it's down to its reserve point, you'll then start using energy from the grid. And you don't see any difference in the home. There's no flickering lights. There's no change. It's just electricity going backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way I would describe it is just simply using the power that you that you produced. You know, the cheapest form of energy is uh, the solar power, is the power that your solar system is producing. And I think a good analogy for that is if you think about it from an electric vehicle standpoint, right? I know people that have an electric vehicle and they're like, yeah, I charge, you know, I, I go to the Tesla supercharger station. I'm like, great. What's your cost per kilowatt hour? 42 cents. I'm like, awesome. That's not cheap. Do you know how much, how cheap it is for cost per kilowatt hour when you have a solar system? They're like, no, it's, it's usually, you know, depends on cash loan, et cetera, but let's just call it eight, nine cents. Yeah, I agree. So are you better off going to the Tesla supercharger station and paying 42 cents? Or are you better off charging your car for solar power that you generate at your home that costs you eight cents? And that's just one example with with electric vehicles. But self-consumption just at a really simplified level means you're going to take the power that your home's producing on your roof, you're going to store it in a battery, and your home's going to use that same energy later because that's your cheapest form of energy. It's cheaper than buying it from the utility. It's cheaper than you know, going to a third-party EV charger station to to do that. And just self-consumption means using the power that you're generating on, on, on your rooftop. Perfect. That's that's great. You both spurred a question, Troy. Your question, actually, the one that you spurred is going to come up in a slide real, real soon. But John, the one that you spurred, I, I want to put it on this table for however many and whoever sees this video, right? I really want to make sure they understand uh, something that you talked about. And it was the prioritization of how and when power is used, right? You said the home will consume it first directly from uh, solar, right? Solar is generating power. That power will first go to the home. Then you said it will next go to the battery. And then, and only then, if the battery can't take anymore and the home's not going to use it, it'll go out to the grid for some amount of price per kilowatt hour, whatever that number is, right? My question for you, and I know I promised that we weren't going to get real technical, and we're still not, but I really want to make sure sales reps understand when a homeowner asks, how do you know this is going to happen, right? I want to come back to you and say, hey, John, where, how, where's the technology? Where, what drives that sort of priority and who controls that? Yeah, great question. So so the, the, the Tygo Energy app for a homeowner, right? The, the brains is really in the in the phone, like the, the interaction rather is really in, in, in the phone app. We actually do provide the homeowner the ability to go in 
and change some functionality like backup reserve to add another you know yep. word uh, salad to the equation where homeowners can choose how much energy they save in their battery uh maybe there's a an upcoming outage that they expect so they can yep. say that the battery wants to hold more energy they can also choose whether they want to self-consume and very very soon they'll be able to force discharge to the grid as well so the homeowner has basically all the same controls in their app as what you guys do on the back end to be able to manage this thing effectively and then how it works once you've set that it's all automatic it's really just a the numbers game or opposing forces i think electricity in general is a confusing topic but we all understand water if this was water and you've got one gallon of water going in and you've got half a gallon going out one side you've got to find a home for that other half a gallon and that goes out to the grid or it comes from the grid depending on where that where that load is so it's really just a case of opposing forces mm-hmm. or numbers if you're using you're producing 5 kilowatts and your battery's full then 5 kilowatts is going to go to the grid um, it's really it's really just a numbers game so it's pretty straightforward Awesome. If I heard you correctly, what I heard you say was it's actually controlled in the inverter and you have the ability to manage that through the app. Is that right? Correct. Yep, exactly. Perfect. That's exactly what I thought I heard. Awesome. Let's press on. Hey, by the way, guys, I'm enjoying this. I think this is going super well. For those of you who may have missed the beginning, we're here with uh, Troy and John from Tygo Energy, and we're running through the five electrifying questions. All right. So uh, unlike no other time in the history of the sort of solar world in California, NEM 3.0 provides a super unique opportunity in the fact that NEM 3.0 allows consumers, homeowners to actually sell power from their battery back to the grid. Now, prior to NEM 3.0, for those of you you know, listening and watching Troy and John that you already know this, but for those of you who are tuned in prior to NIM 3.0, you could not, or you were not allowed to discharge a battery back to the grid. Now I can't tell you uh, how a utility would know whether you are, or aren't discharging a utility or discharging a battery back to the grid, but it was considered like not the right way to go. Now under NEM 3.0, they've granted homeowners permission. You can absolutely take your battery, discharge it back to the grid for a costed credit. Again, in whichever order you guys want to go, what's the significance of this and, and why is it so important today? Well, so so the way that the utility set up the whole NEM 3 arrangement is it created specific windows, specific times of year where they said they really needed extra energy at certain times of day, right? In that peak period. The peak period, four to nine, is like, as they call it, a, su- a supply and demand issue. They have increase in demand. They've got to find supply from somewhere, um, and they increase the cost, just like every other Economics 101. Now what they've said is in, in um, August and September and a portion of October is that they will pay you for energy discharged from the battery. So this really creates a potential revenue-generating opportunity for a homeowner Right, so instead of avoiding electricity that costs 81 cents per kilowatt hour, I could discharge it to the grid and get paid $3 per kilowatt hour. But that's, that's a good math. Now you need to make sure you bring your consumption down so you can actually force that energy back to the grid. But that does create an opportunity there for homeowners to be able to get an extra credit and make money from their batteries. And if you add that up over a 10, 12, 15 year period, yeah, you know, you're going to largely pay for the battery over that time period just in discharges uh, discharges at that time of year. Yeah, and I think, Jack, you said it in the beginning, right? This term, virtual power plants, that's what this is exactly talking about. And 
as you know, Jack, I've been covering Hawaii since 2009 for solar. And yeah, this, Hawaii, is, this is not new for you, is it? Yeah, Hawaii was the first place to do virtual power plants. And so while it's been a buzzword all around, the only people that have really been doing it is in Hawaii. And if you think about it, you know, like John said, it's the utility needs this peak power. So they build these what they're called peaker plants that cost literally billions of dollars that they use for a couple days out of the year. And so in Hawaii, they don't have the room to do that. So they came up with virtual power plants. And what the utilities are starting to see in California usually paves the way on the mainland is that, yeah, it doesn't make sense to spend billions of dollars on these peaker plants that we barely use. There's all this dist distributed resources in terms of batteries on people's walls. Why don't we just incentivize them to send us their power back, yeah. right? And that's really what this means. And so that's why what NEM3 means more than anything else is we don't just sell PV systems now anymore, where it's right. just PV and it goes back to the grid. We sell smart energy solutions, right? That means solar paired with a battery so that we can send power back to the grid when it makes sense for the homeowner to, to make extra cash, or we can send power back to the home to avoid time of use rates. There's smart solar systems and it's all done through software. So as long as you set the right expectations with the homeowner, we help program you know, the battery with guys like ESP that know what they're doing. We give the homeowners control to change it as it comes up. But it's really exciting that California has put this out because this is going to pave the way for the rest of the United States. And this is really the future of the solar industry, which is distributed energy, virtual power plants, having more of like a real-time kind of stock market uh, for homeowners and businesses to buy and sell energy as needed. Yeah, I, dude, I, both of you guys, I, I appreciate the knowledge base that you guys bring to this thing because um, Troy, 100%, like I, you and I have talked about Hawaii, the, the ebb and flow of that market and how everybody really is just trying to catch up to it. In a couple of previous episodes, we've actually done some of the math on this. And, you know, I've heard numbers as high as, you know, ooh, you know, over a 40 day period, a guy might be able to get, you know, close to 11, 1200 bucks. And then in some more conservative efforts, I heard guys say, hey, listen, in a even a 30 day period, they might be able to get close to, you know, seven, 800 bucks, depending on your utility and the buyback rate. But here's the message that I think really should be delivered. The significance of this, right, in addition to what you guys have said, right, the significance of this is really the solar market has changed in California. It's not just about buying and selling uh, solar for its power and bringing it into your house. That's great. It's good that it does that. But now there's this other unique element where, Troy, you made a great reference to it's like a stock market, right? And you buy it low and sell it high. And there are going to be people. And I, I guarantee you this is going to happen. There are going to be people who don't get solar and they put five or six batteries in their garage and they literally charge those batteries from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And then they sell the power back at, you know, two or three dollars a watt in September. And then the rest of the year, they just sort of, you know, wait it out and, and do buy and sell when they can uh, based on what the individual sort of buy and sell back rates are for each of the utilities. This is absolutely significant. Virtual power plants are going to become more and more um, sort of mainstream. And I even think we're going to see legislature based uh, on how and when these things will be controlled, right? Yeah, uh, I think this is like the first time we've really had control. Yeah. Right, and in, 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 under NEM2, it was pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy. It just did its thing. You said it and forget it. But you didn't have a lot of control. Sun comes up, sun goes down, 
Solar mm-hmm. gets produced, self-consumed, the rest gets the utility. Nice and simple for sure. But I do think that the consumer now, we're, we're a lot smarter in general because we're all consumers, right? And I think that we do want control. We want to be able to manage stuff within our application to say, I want my, my battery to behave this way. I want to change this to that. So I think in general, this is the first time we've really had the opportunity to control how our energy is used and how we buy energy and when we buy it, right? Do we want to add extra batteries to the system to be able to take advantage of of more benefits during the during the peak period? Um, or do we want to go and add those on later? So it does create other opportunities down the road with consumers, which we didn't really have before under an M2 scenario. I, um, I had an interesting conversation with somebody actually from the battery storage industry. All they did was make batteries. They're not tied to solar in any way other than they make batteries at storage. And uh, one of the concerns that uh, sort of is sweeping through the industry is how long how long will we be able to maintain control? At what point will legislature sort of work its way in, whether it's on a federal level or even a state-by-state level, uh, to where think about think about the state where you know there's a case. Uh, oh, sorry, think about the case where there's a state of emergency, and you know whoever the governor is for that particular state state has called in the you know the national guard to fix, and maybe it's during a you know a weather crisis, or maybe it's during some other you know, fire type crisis, whatever it might be. And I, I bring those two up because fire is near and dear to California. But, you know, Troy, you're down in Puerto Rico and you guys have had weather circumstances down there that have completely decimated the place. And the folks with batteries are still, you know, being able to get pump well water. But here's my point. Whether it's at a federal level or at a state level, I think at some point someone's going to want to control your battery. And I, I really wish that uh, that isn't the case. I don't know how to sort of convey that. And I don't want to sort of necessarily have a giant political message out of this sort of uh, context, but I, I think that day's coming and it does make me nervous. Well, I mean, Jack, I'll, this is a very real-time conversation because as we sit here today, uh, my friends in Maui have their town burnt down, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, they've installed thousands of batteries over there. And those people that have the batteries um, have power right now. But I don't know that I agree with you that there will be legislation. What I could see is the utility um, compensating people heavily during emergency situations to to discharge their power. Because like I said, Hawaii, it's always been the tip of the spear. And even right now with what's happening today in Maui, nobody's taking control of anybody's batteries. I would but hope, I would absolutely, hope like- there's absolutely contracts that are set up in place where people can choose to uh, discharge their battery if they have extra power to to get compensated for that to help out the greater good. And I think that's yeah. a good thing for people. I, Troy, I, I 100% hope that you're right in the sense that that's how it transitions stateside. I, I Again, we don't have it, so we don't know, right? Everything is uh, that, that I'm suggesting is purely speculative. But I, I definitely know that, you know, when you look at some of the agreements between uh, manufacturers and uh, suppliers, or even installers for that matter, uh, where that control lies uh, ultimately has some definite uh, pins and needles tied to it. Well, I think that's a great point. And if I could just make one more little comment on that, that's what's great about Tygo, Jack, is that we believe it's your customer. We're one of the only manufacturers that doesn't have VPP aspirations of owning the customers and doing contracts with the grid or the utility. We think that 
the EPCs like energy service partners and the homeowners own those systems that own those rights. And we want to enable the software and the services to enable you, uh, enable you guys to benefit the most from the grid. But we are absolutely not going to be out there trying to, uh, you know, get these contracts and control people's batteries ourselves. Uh, Tygo is an open architecture system, uh, which is different and unique in the market. Sure, sure. That is 100%. I love it. Let's, hey, let's move on because this one's going to be going to feel a little bit weird for you guys because you call it something different, right? Um, I don't think you guys use the terminology backup interface, but I know that uh, some of your competitors have different names for it as well. And in fact, only one actually calls it a backup interface, but everybody refers to it uh, sort of as a backup interface. And the backup interface is a device um, that quite literally sits between your main panel and your battery. And what it does is it sort of shifts power and allows you to uh, have backup loads and automatic transfers. And in some cases, it even allows you to sort of have larger than normal PV systems that would fit into a main service panel based on where you put these loads, right? And so this question may or not may or may not apply to you guys, but certainly I want to talk about it. And it is, the question is this, in what way does a backup interface or whatever we're going to call it for each different manufacturer, in what ways does that help MPU reductions and the use or the need for MPUs? Yeah, good good question. I think I think what what stands out here um, as an advantage is the DC architecture, right? And the advantage is in main panel upgrade avoidance really comes in when we're talking about whole home backup, because you start to get into some electrical kind of code situations where when the main panel is empty, yep, um, I can now backfeed the rating of the main panel, or I can I can set the backup interface in between that. I think what we're seeing now, the transition we've seen in NEM3 is that most folks want to set up a self-consumption type of model, right? Prior to NEM3, there was not a lot of batteries being sold, right? It was a pretty low attack rate. And the ones that were were backup, right? They were typically designed to have, you know, critical loads or essential loads or whatever we're going to, whatever terminology we want to use for those. Yeah, exactly. So so with Tygo, I think where we, where our advantage sits is, how much you can put on a single breaker, right? And, and the easiest math to think about is that your average 100 amp main panel and your average 200 amp main panel, how much can I put on there and not have to upgrade it? And with Tygo on a 100 amp main panel, you could put 7.6 kilowatts of solar and you could put 40 kilowatt hours of energy in, in energy storage. So that's four batteries and seven and a half kW of solar. On a 200 amp main panel, you could put 14, um, 15.2 kilowatts rather of solar. And again, 40 kilowatt hours of energy storage. So for us, it's really in that inverter and being able to take DC energy from the roof, put DC energy into a battery without converting it and load up the inverter on the DC side and not have to worry about this breaker rating issue. What we found is that multiple inverters don't tend to add as much benefit in an M3 environment as multiple batteries do mm-hmm. because we're trying to figure out how do we cover that peak load? And that's not usually a straight production challenge. It's like, how big is my bucket? How big is my energy reservoir? So then you want to be able to put as many batteries on your inverter as you can. And with Tiger, you can put up to four. But I don't know if I'm putting a 14 kilowatt system and four batteries, it's a pretty big system. That's a lot of capability. And I know that I'm not going to have to upgrade a 200 amp main because I'm living all of that on a 40 amp breaker. Love it. Troy, do you, do you want to add anything here? Because I honestly, I think he nails it. 
Yeah. And then this is John's the master at this conversation. I would just say, you know, Tesla calls it a gateway. I think Franklin calls it an A gate. Solar Edge calls it a BY. We call it at Tygo an ATS. And, you know, like John said, there's advantages to DC coupled architecture. And so um, it really helps you avoid these main panel upgrades, which, you know, especially if you have to move the panel or do some trenching, they can kill a job. And so having that flexibility allows a you know intelligent epc like esp to be able to help a homeowner and save deals really is what it's all about yeah a hundred percent so that's honestly the the way i serve this up to uh, any sales rep or a young guy wanting to learn right i i say hey man look yes nim nim 3.0 it's definitely made it more difficult to sort of sell because you have to know more you have to understand batteries you have to understand charge discharge you have to understand sort of what you're looking at when you're looking at a main panel but that isn't anything new right as a sales rep you should always uh, try to con- try to make sure three things happen right the first one is that the consumer uh, financially has to qualify for solar whether that is they have cash or whether they're going to get a loan right or uh, in- enter into a lease the second one is the roof has to qualify meaning we're going to get up on the roof we're going to check it out uh, somebody's going to make sure that the number of panels that have been specified actually fits and then um, if the roof's in great condition uh, we're just going to move forward right but if it's not hey we're, we're going to build an opportunity to sort of create either a new roof or a roof repair or whatever needs to happen for that roof. The third one is the electrical panel has to qualify. And at the end of the day, there's lots of things we can do. The one that we don't like to do is an MPU. These are, they take up a tremendous amount of time. They are in fact, very costly. Sometimes they're even in the wrong location where the utility says, hey, you've got to move this to the other side of the building. And it becomes even more costly and takes more time to do these things. So in this new NEM 3.0 world, there is a cool thing with sort of backup interfaces or A gates or auto transfer, ATS switches, like whatever the component is that we're going to put in the way. If it can reduce the number of MPUs that need to be done, I am all for it because that means your project is going to go faster from start to finish. You're going to get paid sooner and your homeowner is ultimately going to be happier because they got everything you promised and no surprises. MPUs always seem to come up as a surprise because like the person doing the selling may or may not know the electrical math behind does this fit or does this not fit on this inverter, right? So great answers. And here's what I love about the last question where we're on our very last question. And seriously, guys, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with us. This last question is purely speculative. There is no textbook answer. There is no right or wrong. It's purely what you think is going to happen in the future. And I will start by saying this. You know, the the question itself is, what does the future hold for PV and ESS? And can you envision a day where consumers don't have an interconnection? Now, I've already heard like nine different ways about how this is or is not going to go down. And I'll, I'll share with you my belief. And my belief is when the industry reaches a place where we have a singular 40 kilowatt hour battery, 40 is definitely a magic number, a 40 kilowatt hour battery in a in a place that, you know, fits the size of what a 10 or a 12 kilowatt hour battery is today. When we can do that, I think we will actually see more and more people go PV, battery, pull my meter out. I think they'll go without their grid. And I think they'll say, I want to be my own. I'm tired of 
having to deal with whatever utility they're dealing with. And so long as that 40 kilowatt hour battery can carry them through the night and solar can carry them through the day, I think people will gladly make this decision. Now, that's my opinion. It's purely opinion. It's the same opinion that I've done on the last four of these, right? So I'd love to hear what you guys think about the future of PV and ESS. And do you actually think we'll get to a place in the future where we're not interconnected to the grid? Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting question. You know, this industry's changed so much. I've been in solar eleven and a half years now, or something like that. And and back in the day, we were trying to convince people that solar was going to be around for long enough to be worthwhile investment, right? And and now we're getting into energy storage, we're getting into virtual power plants, like all of these controls and capabilities that are coming. I think one of the big changes is likely to be around batteries but it's going to be the combination of our home energy storage our pv solution and what's in our cars right we're living in california there's a significant number of electric vehicles on the road already and by 2035 i think it is it's mandated that all new vehicles are going to be electric cars there's going to be a synergy there i'm not so convinced that it'll be a vehicle to grid synergy um, in that you'll be able to charge your car at work and then come home and then discharge your battery in a peak rate and make a bunch of money. And now we've got throughput warranty challenges with uh, our battery manufacturers in our vehicles. But I do think there's going to be a synergy there with, I got a battery on my wall, I got a bunch of solar on my roof, and I got a big bucket, a big energy reservoir in my car. And I think that's going to be an interesting synergy. That might be the piece that makes that change. You do need your car to be at home, obviously, for that to to be working. So there are some variables there. I think the utilities will probably make it difficult for us to cut the cord, even more difficult than Comcast does. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities coming coming our way. And the industry's changed a lot in the last 10 years. And in the next 10 years, between now and when we get those uh, those electric vehicles as a mainstay, I think we'll be, we'll be uh, seeing a lot of opportunities arise. Thank you for that, John. Troy, what's your thoughts on this? I can't um, wait to hear your perspective. I think it's going to be fabulous. Well, you know, I've been doing solar since 2009. And like I said, I've been fortunate enough to uh, manage Hawaii where it's gotten me, uh, we call it the tip of the spear because what happens over there happens in California five years later. So I've gotten a good education on on this stuff. Could people cut the cord? Sure. Will they? I don't know. Um, I agree with John. I think that having uh, cars and they're in the mix with their batteries is going to really make things interesting. And the key term to kind of just keep your eyes on is it's called bi-directional EV charging so that you can uh, send power from your car to your home. And I think that's what's going to be used for backup power in emergency situations. As far as cutting the cord, you know, it's really going to depend on the utilities, right? We talked about virtual power plants. I might not want to cut the cord because I want to sell power to the utility. But if the utility is going to charge me a bunch of fixed charges for having solar, uh, then it might not be worth it. So if, you know, previous history is any indication, they're going to get greedy. They're going to try to charge a lot for solar customers for fixed charges. And people are going to say, screw it. I'm going to cut the cord just like I cut the cord with my cable company, you know. Um, but there may become a time where the utility realizes that that's a mistake and we need to get these solar customers back in. And they may advise people to do that. So it's really going to depend on what they do. Will the technology exist for us to be able to do that? Absolutely. How long that's going to happen? I think 
within the next 10 years. And certainly by 2035, which John is talking about, um, you know, it's going to be significant in California. But I got a lot of friends that are working at GM, Rivian, Tesla, wherever, and they're all working on this bi-directional EV charging thing so that, you know, homeowners can have that emergency backup power uh, with their vehicle, you know, instead of needing to buy 60, 80 kilowatt hours of storage, uh, they can have a vehicle and maybe have 20 kilowatt hours of storage. But yeah. you are right, Jack, that 40 is the magic number uh, to be able to run your home. Uh, at my own home, I got 40 kilowatt hours of storage. I got 15 kW of PV. I've got two electric vehicles, two EV chargers. I got a hot tub, pool pump, the whole deal. And 40 kilowatt hour storage is what gets it done for me to be able to run my house. And I've had my power go out for 18 hours at a time. And I didn't miss a beat. I don't have 40 kilowatts of storage at home. I wish I did. Uh, Cause I would be that guy that would absolutely experiment and just pull my meter out. Um, they would come rolling up within a day or two, I'm sure. Uh, and go, Hey man, what's going on? You used to buy 33,000 kilowatt hours a year. Like, why are you at zero over the last three days? Right. Um, and maybe they wouldn't be that quick about it, but nonetheless, I'm sure they would actually show up at some point in time saying, Hey man, like your meter's gone. And I'm like, yeah, cause I don't want to pay you anymore. I'm paying for all of this stuff so that I don't have to, um, 40 is a magic number. And we came up with that sort of theoretically because, uh, during the day you have a certain amount of power, obviously you're going to get from your solar panels, um, uh, Troy, you mentioned yours was 15 kilowatts. I think mine is something like 10.6 or something like that. And I can, I, I certainly get about uh, 45%, 40%, 45% of my total power from that. Um, I can promise you the rest of my power usage is from the stuff that happens at night while we're sleeping. Uh, most of the time that's air conditioning. Uh, sometimes that's things like the jacuzzi in the pool. But at the end of the day, um, 40 kilowatts would be able to carry me and two air conditioners and a pool and a jacuzzi through the night. And the thing about it is 40s magic because we don't necessarily want to change lifestyle. And I think that's the part where homeowners sort of start throwing up shields about what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. If you walk through the door and you're trying to sell an M3.0 system and the first thing you say to a consumer is, hey, we're going to get you solar, we're going to get you a battery, and uh, and, and hey, you got to start doing everything between 10 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon, I think you've just lost the sale. Right. Because that nobody wants to change lifestyle as a result of doing something sort of solarish. Right. So uh, the more we can make that transition a lot easier, like, hey, you're not even going to have to worry about changing lifestyle because we're going to get you a battery and we're going to put that power into the battery. And we're also going to program it in a way that allows you to use it when you need it and sell it back to the utility for a profit when that is needed. Right. Or when that's able. So, hey, thank you so much, guys. This has been five electrifying questions for NIM 3.0 in California. And we've got the guys from Tygo, Troy and John, just down here laying down the facts about how it actually is and how it should be done. Thank you so much for your time today, guys. Appreciate it. Sure, Jack. Thanks. For Great. Thanks, Jack. The views expressed herein may or may not represent the views of Energy Service Partners Incorporated, its ownership, management, affiliates, or subsidiaries. No construction project is guaranteed to be free from errors at any stage, and nothing contained in this recording should be taken to imply otherwise.